And now, weighing in out of the blue corner, Josh the Pong Thompson. 100% and on the other mic, he weighs in from the red corner, Big John McCarthy. We had a lot to talk about this weekend. After this weekend, I was in Dublin, you were in LA. We covered basically the whole, we covered half the globe. <laughs> absolutely half the globe yes we covered half from, the globe from dublin to la it was awesome i mean i had a great you were you were right about everything that we talked about the crowd the energy energy in dublin the three arena was a beautiful arena and just the setup was awesome the way that the they sing and it bounces off the walls it was it was absolutely amazing and you were definitely not wrong about the Jameson's tour. I had a great time. <laughs> I am here for you. It was awesome. So I did the uh, I did the mixology class. We taught us how to make a whiskey sour, and they taught us how to make it old-fashioned. I'm an old-fashioned kind of guy, you know, and so <laughs> I had those. And then, you know, th they made this little punch that just knocked me off my socks. It was pretty awesome, man. I had a great time. Yeah, that time. punch is good. We had a great and time. And it will definitely leave a mark on you. <laughs> Yeah, we got done with the class, already three three drinks in. And then after the three drinks in, we went out to the bar and had a couple more old fashions and then uh yeah, it was it was good. We had a great time. I had a great time. And the best part about that whole Jameis thing is all those bartenders and the people that do it, they're all fight fans. Yes. So we, they watch all the fights, they talk about them. They're great people. Yeah, we got lucky. I sh we I went there with Fish, and we were there, and uh, just so happened someone there recognized me and took us in the back, gave us like a, a couple of drinks out of like basically dropped the chain down into one of the casts. It was like a 16 or 18-year-old cast that had been waiting to mature. So they dropped it down and pulled out a little bit of that and uh, filtered it because it had a little bit of the, the sides of the cast on the side of it that had fallen into the, the whiskey. And so they filtered it, poured it for us, Swished it around a little bit, watched the little teardrops come down the sides, and just took, <laughs> sipped on it for a bit. It was, it was good, man. It was good. We had a great time. It was. I was very impressed with. People were extremely nice. Um, Super nice. Everywhere we went, um, there was tons of tourists, but it was very. People were just very friendly, and and it was very. It was, everywhere we went was a good time. I had a great. We walked a bunch of places. The Hot Penny Bridge or whatever it was called. It was. We, you know, I and Fish was telling me the story behind it all, and just it was pretty cool, man. I had a great time. Come on, you have to admit, I'm watching. I'm watching on my phone during a production meeting, and Peter Queeley is gonna fight Ryan Scope. Peter Queeley comes out. He comes out first. They're playing zombie, and I hear the crowd start to go. And I go, "This is what I was talking about, Josh. Yeah. I want you. You weren't there." And then as as Ryan Scope's coming out. I know they're playing this song, and you just hear the crowd still screaming the zombie song. And finally, he, he's actually moving his hand to the sound of the zombie song. I go, that's what it's all about. Yeah, they um, they did that to all the fighters. The fighters that every time they came out, if they were fighting someone that was from uh, from Ireland or from Dublin, they were you couldn't hear their walkout music. They were singing the yeah. whole time, the whole night. Uh, for the Paramount show they were singing, for the Channel 5 show they were singing, for some of the prelims they were singing. If their fans were there, they were singing for them. It was pretty awesome. We had a the, – the, the overall experience, it was it definitely did not disappoint. Yeah, that's cool. That's a, it, that's a special place. You brought you brought it up, though, and so we'll just jump right into that. Peter Queeley and Ryan Scope. Man, what a, you know, that might be the comeback of the year fight. 
I mean, Queely, he was so dominant in the first round, landing the better shots. I mean, almost, you could say, almost a 10-8 round, maybe not, but definitely easily goes to Queely as the round. He comes out in the first, what was it, 10, 15 seconds? That kick up. Hits him, he goes down, and and Scope is on. Put everything he could in trying to finish him. Quilly was never gonna. You got to kill him in front of his fans, and he comes back on top. And as soon as they stood up, you could see it in Ryan Scope. You're done. You know, up here it was. I'm exhausted. I've burned all my gas, and you see him starting to cover. And then Quilly comes in, does what he's supposed to, and and Scope, you know, ends up getting stopped by him. What a comeback by Quilly, but. I think Ryan Scope's going to learn a lot from that fight. He had a lot going into that fight off of his fight with Pitbull. I thought, you know, that's a fight where even though he got a loss on his record, he didn't lose. Yeah. He built his he built the status, you know, in Bellator in the MMA community and that this fight he's going to have to look back on. I don't know if it was a conditioning thing. I don't know if it was that he just shot all of that gas out trying to finish him, but uh, that's one that got to be ready to keep going. Well, there's a couple things that I want to bring up about this fight because you weren't there, you were in L.A. I mean, I'm not sure if you heard or you know, and I'm sure a majority of the people out there don't know, but they had they had basically Ryan Scope had met with um, Peter Cooley's coaches in the lobby at the hotel and talked to him and said, hey, how much does Peter weigh? You know, I weigh about 170. He said that he weighs probably about 168, 169 at the time, and they were getting ready to start cutting weight. It was like the, the day before weight cuts. So they hadn't even really started cutting there a day and a half before. So then Ryan Scope said, well, what do you think about us not cutting the weight? And he's like, well, I don't know. Let's reach out to him. They reached out to Peter Quilly, and Peter goes, yeah, that sounds good to me. Whatever you want to do. But what goes through my mind, and you're already smiling. We, we, we have this battle <laughs> here, back and here forth. Here comes Josh and his weight cutting. Come on, baby. We have this battle back and forth, and for me, when the when the battle starts for fights, it kind of starts with the weight cut. The fight itself is to me the easy part. The camp, well, you're right. the camp, and then the last thing, like the candle on the cake, the last thing that you do to finish your camp is weight cut. And when you're done with that, you feel like you've done everything you possibly could have done to get back to get back in that cage and beat somebody who maybe didn't do it as well as you did throughout that camp. And I know it's a mental thing, but if you take a look at that fight, as soon as they got back to their feet, he was mentally broken, mentally broken. And I didn't think I would see that from him, given his performance from Patricky and how, how he looked and how he was the one pressing the action in the third round. I didn't believe I would see that. But then when I heard about this exchange of him calling and reaching out about how possibly like, let's not just put our bodies through it. Let's just, you know, uh, not make the, like, let's just agree upon 170. And Bellator, of course, is like, look, we don't care what weight you guys fight at. As long as you guys fight, we don't care if you cut weight. We don't care if you don't, you know, and I, I like that as a promotion. They make the adjustment and they said, look, 170 it is then. As long and as it's not a title fight, what does it matter? Exactly. Exactly. So to me, that I felt, I was like, oh, right, this is good. Um, we'll, we'll see how this pans out, you know? And um, it just, to me, it just felt like a mental... For me, if I if a fighter called me and said, hey, how about we just meet at 170, knowing we're both 170, I'd have been like, no, son. No. <laughs> no, because see, you're looking going, I know that I can make that weight and I'll be okay, but I want to make you suffer. Yep. 
I want you to have to lose that weight, feel bad, go through this whole thing, and then in the end, I think I'm going to be the stronger guy. Well, there's also that, too, that what happens if your diet and your nutrition and all that stuff wasn't as clean as mine throughout my camp, and I and I worked harder, and when it came down to the last two to five pounds, who's to say you're, you're not going to be able to drive through it and push through it, and it's going to take more out of you than it would take, than it would take me. And... Well, and basically, and basically, that that right there can make or break. Let's just say I get another twenty percent of your purse. Sure, we're both one seventy, but your diet and nutrition maybe it wasn't as good as mine, and it's harder for you to make the weight. And then my performance is better than yours. That 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 could be that you know it, you're. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying that can definitely be a factor. It could be a true fact in the events, and it can also be that you know what Ryan Scope was in shape, and. He comes in there and, hey, you, you want to not lose weight? We'll not lose weight together and we'll just fight at this weight. And Queely's sitting there saying, yeah, it's okay with me. And, you know, yes, Scope ends up, it's exhaustion that made him lose the fight. And that's part of that's part of fighting. It's, you know, it's not, you don't always get beat by the punch or kick. Sometimes you get beat by the pace or by the pace that you bring that you think you're going to end the fight and you don't and you just blow up in the fight and that's what happened to Ryan Scope in that fight. <laughs> well, I'm going to I'm going to take it a step further and I'm going to do what Josh Thompson always does. I'm going to put blame on someone. Okay? I'm going to blame and 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 I'm going to I I I think I think now for now on with this show, I'm probably going to be the heel cuz you're always the nice guy. So I I'm probably going to be the that's heel. That's cuz I am the nice guy. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> but I I, I kind of blame his corner. I blame the fact that they should have been yelling to him, pace yourself, pick and choose your shots. He had opportunities. I understand when you rock him, drop him, you jump on him, you try to finish him. But once you don't get it after, say, 30 punches, maybe you should kind of reconsider how you're approaching that. Like start yeah. trying to hold the position, strike, do damage. Try to always stay moving so your your opponent never really gets an opportunity to secure you and settle you down so you can't land dominant striking. But he was in mount. He had opportunities for chokes. He had opportunities for striking. But it seemed like every time he was almost, the ref was about to step in, he decided to go for a submission. <laughs> he went for the choke. He went for the choke. And then yeah. he lost it, and then he went back to punching, and the ref was about to step in, and then he went back to the choke. And that I credit Peter Queeley because he was the one that was Peter Queeley for moving around so much, giving his back, not giving his back, side control. But he was mounted. He was a dom. He was being dominated by Ryan Scope for those for those what two and a half minutes of the fight, two minutes oh, yeah. of the fight, and he just he just the inexperience, and I think also too from the corner. The corner, that showed to me that there was inexperience in the corner of, there should have been yelling to him, pace yourself, pick and choose your shots, maintain the top position. Whatever you do, do not get out of mount. Stay there, yeah. mount back, mount back. Once he got to butterfly and he got swept, I was like, this is not looking good. Seconds no. later, they got Peter Quilly just backed out and was like, get up to your feet, let's get it on. And Ryan just put his back to the fence and it was over. You could tell yeah, you when could somebody tell. who just had a dominant performance for two minutes of just laying the leather on me and then they're the ones backing away, that lets you know right there that he was done. He was exhausted. One of the things that, that fighters start to get in their mind is the if I put a big, huge amount of volume on this right now, 
the referee is going to stop stop the fight. And if you understand what the referee is looking at, he's looking for damage. Mm -hmm. Volume, as far as multiples, if they're not hitting hard, you're like, I'm going to let it go. It's exactly what you're saying. Instead of burning all that energy in that motion, slow things down, press that position, bring one hard elbow, one hard punch, do things that are damaging that now you see the fighter, instead of being able to be like Queeley was mounted with his face up, now he's having to turn and he's trying to give his back because he's being hurt. That's going to bring that referee in more and you're expending far less energy in doing it. Yeah, I for me, I, f- I felt like my my ring my cage awareness was pretty well when I was fighting. So I never really tr- I kept trying to land strikes, but only did I try to ramp it up is when I saw the ref kind of start coming into the picture. Getting tight. The ref was always outside the picture. He was never within my peripheral when I was trying to do damage, until the it was getting close to him to stop it. And when he stepped into my vision. That's when I realized, ramp it up. You need to get this, yep. get this, get this guy out of here right now. Cause if you don't get him out of here, you could potentially be tired and he could end up getting back to his feet and making you work twice as hard for a fight you could have finished. So th- yeah. I always just in my mind, I kept that in my mind. If you see the ref step into the frame, okay, it means that you, something's going right. It's either going right or going wrong. <laughs> so- <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I was on the wrong side a couple times too. So it was just one of those things where you just think to yourself, it's going right or it's going wrong. But uh, but that was kind of like my rule of thumb. You know what I mean? Like if I could see him kind of start to inch in, because I never really, yeah. I never really heard, I occasionally heard the refs, but I was more listening to my corners. But I sure. just visually always had the idea if the ref was kind of in my vision, something was going good for me if I was on top. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of guys will go off of hearing the ref and hearing something in the words of, you know, hey, move, get out, fight back. That's certain. Oh, I heard that, and I just started ramping it up. Going, I'm not going to let you fight back. I'm not going to let you move, and I know I'm going to get my finish. Yeah, I the only reason why I never really went off because I didn't really hear you guys all that often either. But the other thing too is that sometimes you guys will give that warning three to four times. So that that could be a long time of trying to land we're, strikes. We're, we're trying to trick you. Yeah, our whole thing is to make you tired, man. You're just, and I get it because if that was me on bottom, and I, you and I have had this conversation in the back when you would always talk to me in the back before doing my fights, I would just tell you, don't stop the fight at all until I stop moving. That was my that was my one thing I would tell every ref. Just just do me a favor. If I'm still moving, I'm still in this fight. If I'm not moving anymore, I get you. I understand. You know, and and when I go back and watch the video. It's pretty blank. It's pretty clear that I wasn't moving anymore. You know, in certain fights, you know, and so you understand, yeah. like, hey, this is the fight game. You know, that's that's, that's what happens. But I, I go back to go back to the scope and Queeley fight. Hands down, fight of the night. Probably hands down, fight of the weekend. Um, not, per- yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say Except performance. For AJ. Yeah, AJ was performance to me. Performance of the okay, weekend. I'll give you that. But I give Queeley the the fight, the fight of the weekend yep. for sure. I agree. Of uh, the ones that I saw, I, I didn't get a chance to watch UFC. So all you UFC uh, nut huggers, nothing that great. Calm down, okay. I'm. I didn't get a chance to see it, so I can't include any of their fights. You guys gotta <laughs> pump your brakes, okay? Slow your row, okay? Give me a sec. Um, but I'm talking strictly Bellator right now because I didn't get to see the UFC. But yeah, I thought to me it was uh, that was for sure the fight of the night uh, for both cards. Performance of the night goes to AJ McKee, 100%. Oh! 100%. I mean, just comes out and just... Look, he made a statement. 
he he went out there and Georgie Georgie talked a lot of snap about yeah. you know training with his dad and trying to get in his head. And AJ went out there and said, "Oh, really? Let me show you what I'm made of." Wow. And that left hand, man, that left hand put him down, and that left hand finished him. That thing starched him the second time he hit him with it. Yeah. Hell of a performance. I mean, just incredible and making a statement to every other guy in that tournament hey you don't want none of me yeah you you had talked about this uh the other day when i talked to you you said when i got into the fighter meetings in la you asked every fighter who's the number two guy outside of patricio and they all said aj mckee yep every one of them every guy there i said you know and asked all right well who do you look at as the guy that man this is this is the guy that is a guy to beat and they all, to a man, AJ McKee, they know how athletic he is. They know how fast he is. They know he's talented. They all think they have, you know, I know, I think I know the way to beat him. 15 guys have tried. No one has come up with that answer yet. That's a riddle. I just have a question, though, for you, like, since we're on the AJ McKee uh, bandwagon right now, because I, I definitely am. I'm, I'm definitely not. Uh, not well, and, and yes, I am the guy that that was the guy I picked. You're right. I'm Wait, sorry. No, 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 no. Let's <laughs> let's let's clarify this for all of you guys at home that don't understand what we're talking about. We said on the on the broadcast, pick a dark horse. Not not a superstar to win the event. <laughs> not not now it's already been confirmed by all the other fighters That's that he is the number first. two guy to win this whole thing. Every why all why the other fighters. <laughs> they all think he's the guy, he's the favored guy to win it outside of Patricio. All the other fighters agree. He says we said pick the dark horse. He I picks did. AJ no one McKee. Was talking about it. AJ no McKee. It was like he was invisible. Yeah. No one ever was even saying a word about the man. I had to bring him back to life. I said you cannot pick a superstar. You cannot <laughs> pick a superstar. Um, yeah, he uh, he's definitely not the dark horse, but he is still in the tournament. Unlike my guy, I had Saul Rogers. He had uh, he just he didn't have the performance that I thought he would have. Da obviously, when I said this though, look him fighting Daniel Weichel. Daniel Weichel is. To me, and I've said this over and over, he's probably the best and the most technical in the whole tournament. He's yeah. so good all the way around. And his like his takedown defense during that fight, there was two times that Rogers got incredibly deep on him. Super deep. And man, he shucked it off. He did a beautiful job of keeping that fight exactly where he wanted it, and that's why he got that win. Yeah, I, there was just multiple times where he just, even when he did get in, he didn't turn the corner. He just tried to power through him, um, you know, and I, I just, I had him, I thought he would do better on the exchanges of chain wrestling it better together, and he, did, he wasn't able yeah. to do that. And uh, it kind of surprised me because I felt there was so many opportunities for him to get the takedown, he wasn't able to capitalize on those opportunities. Because I feel like a couple, if he was able to get Weichel down once or twice, it would have changed the dynamic of the fight. It would have changed how the fight would have been, how how the fight would have been had to have been fought by Weichel moving forward. Because he would, I, I think it would have changed how he approached being on. I mean, he would have been on bottom. He would have zapped his energy. It wouldn't have been the same fighter going on after that. We see the amount of ground up pound that. Uh, Saul Rogers can do and the damage he can do when you get stuck on bottom with him because he's a nasty ground and powder. He reminds me of the, I don't want to say Fedor, but he has like that, just that nasty style of ground and pound, you know, for a smaller guy. Ta very talented. He, but he has Tito Ortiz style ground and pound. He yeah. comes up very high over the top. He's trying to hit with big shots, big yes. elbows. 
if he could have gotten Vichel down, definitely a different fight, but you have to give it to Daniel Vichel. What a performance. And taking a guy that really was, it was a good pick by you as a dark horse, mm-hmm. took a guy that we all thought, I had picked him to win the fight. I thought yeah. that Sal would be able to get Vichel down and that would be the difference, and I was wrong. Yeah, I'm glad you admitted it because I was wrong too, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but good good stuff. I mean, good stuff. Overall, um, I want to go back to the I want to go back to the Dublin card. Uh, I know we're bouncing around here a little bit, but I want to go back to the Dublin card and I want to talk to you um, a couple things. Let's talk. Yes, you were asking questions on your broadcast. Let's go. Yeah, let's let's. Uh, I want to talk to you about Benson Henderson. I thought he started fast. I thought he performed well. I thought he'd do everything he possibly could have done. He could have potentially amped it up a little bit more, trying to get the finish, but. In all of those things being said, it's hard to fight somebody who doesn't fight. Yeah. How do you fight somebody who doesn't fight? And I just wanted, I'm a huge fan of Miles Jury. I was supposed to fight him a couple times when UFC and Strike Force first merged. There was, his name was thrown out a couple times, and, and I always said I wanted someone ranked higher. He just is extremely talented, and he's so much better than what we saw. And I yeah. just. I, I, your first fight in a new promotion, a new home. I know you're in Dublin. I know you're in a it maybe like further away from San Diego where you're training. I just I don't know, man. I expected a, I expected a lot more out of him. I wanted something more out of him. I at least want to see a competitive fight. He was never in the fight, never once. He just didn't throw. No, it's exactly what you're saying. I, I give Benson credit. He came out fast. We, you and I have both complained to him. Yep. About. What are you doing about starting faster? What are you doing to not start off giving away that first round? What? You, and he's always been talking about how he's been working towards you know being able to start fast, pulling the trigger. But when you have a guy that fights completely defensive against you the entire time, is not presenting any openings, that makes it difficult. Now, it doesn't mean it makes it difficult in the end to win the fight. You're going to win the fight, but it's hard to win the fight in any impressive fashion yeah. because – the guy's just not opening up and not giving you anything. It's a hard position to be in. I thought Benson did exactly what we would want him to do. He came out fast. He was trying. He's he's facing a guy that's not giving him a lot. He's winning the rounds. You can't ask anything more of him. I mean, that is exactly what went through my mind is that it's really hard to finish somebody, right, when they're always just, like, just say you're grappling with someone and all they do is just get into a fetal position and just, yeah, just stay defensive. tucked and just they're super defensive. You can't do much to those guys except punch it's them. It's tough. You know what I mean? So th- that's kind of what I felt like the whole fight was on the feet. He was, there's no reason for Benson to even try and get a takedown because he was winning the exchange on the feet because Miles wasn't doing anything. He wasn't doing anything at all to initiate contact. He was waiting for Benson to initiate the contact and then trying to counter. And very rarely did he even try to counter. He just tried to block and defend. And there's something, there's something with Miles – and I had him in a fight where he was so dominant and his performance so offensive that I had him with Donald Cerrone. He didn't do a lot. He was very defensive in that fight, trying to just defend everything, not throwing a whole lot out. And it ended up being a fairly, you know, similar fight to what he had with Benson with the end. You know, Donald was, you know, he's winning all the rounds. But jury's got this thing. He has got to get it in his mind. I got to open up and go after people. If he doesn't, He's going to beat the lower tier guys, but he's never going to beat that upper tier guy. So, 
speaking on that, somebody with a new promotion did, didn't come out and fight, didn't go, basically didn't get after it, didn't do what he wanted to do in his first fight in Bellator. That takes me, basically there's his first paycheck, his first fight in Bellator. That takes me to somebody else, though, with a million dollars on the line and potentially winning the title, all these other things, back to L.A. with Henry Corrales. I, I knew you were going to say Henry Corrales. The guy has one round left, down by two yep. rounds to Darian Caldwell, and he just walks after him, doesn't throw punches, and nope. just it doesn't. Just you were saying he was looking. I kept hearing the commentary because I was watching on the airplane coming back from Ireland, and you just kept saying like he's just looking for the one punch. I felt like he wasn't even looking for that because even when Darian got close, he didn't even throw. I was like, it was almost like he was afraid of the takedown. Like, dude. You've lost two rounds. It doesn't matter if you get taken down. Like, just that's it. This is it. And I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, you're trying. For, when when you try for the home run, it just never shows itself. Mm -hmm. You just don't get that opportunity. The the home run punch comes when you're just trying to touch somebody. You're just trying to put shots on them, and all of a sudden, and boom, you, you know, just training wise, you come into it. And I'm I'm watching a guy that I'm thinking, well, you lost the first two rounds. You've got to open up. You got to do something. And he's trailing following and not throwing at all and time is going by and i'm thinking to myself henry you're allowing a million dollars to slip through your hands right now you're going to be so upset with yourself when you watch this again and think what was i thinking i yeah. feel bad for him i think he's going to go back i think he's going to learn a lot from it he, he cannot be so concerned with the takedown that you stop doing what has made you successful. I just he, look. He was obviously in phenomenal shape. He tra he switched over to a new team that has like I guess one of the best conditioning programs. Got everything. Yeah, everywhere that where they were. I can't remember what it was called. It's called uh, Goldie trains there now. Uh, it's yeah. It's it's Henry Cejudo's place with yeah. his brother uh, Alfred. And I'm trying to think of uh, train bite something or other. Anyway, yeah, anyways, um. But I've heard a lot of good things about it. He was obviously in phenomenal shape from his last fight to this fight. You see how how lean and shredded he was for that fight. <clears throat> he wasn't even breathing heavy in the third round. Oh no! And I feel like if you've taken a if he would have taken a page out of anyone's book, fighting Darian Caldwell. And I know here we go. I'm going to start sandbagging on Darian now and just just <laughs> not, bagging on everybody, bagging on him and. It's just, I feel like the game plan has been laid out, and Horiguchi laid it out, and other guys had laid it out from before as well, but I think Horiguchi did it the best. Fighting him at 135, his excuse, not his excuse, but the talk was that he was cutting that was too much weight. was my excuse for him. Your excuse for him. He's cutting too much weight. He's a big 135-pounder. He's cutting too much weight, but people talked about it all the time. Well, I want you to think about this. Look at Darion against Henry. Henry's the natural 145-er. Caldwell's coming from 135. Who is the bigger fighter? Yeah, yeah, Darren. Darren Caldwell's way bigger. Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. I do. I get that. But then he had the same performance problem that he had at 135 that he had in one. He got tired. Yeah, he got tired. He's and, squeezing. Yeah. He, he's taking guys down, and he's wasting energy in positions that he should never be wasting energy. Yep. Yeah, and that, that to that me is – that's coaching. That's exactly. You said you took the words right out of my mouth. I feel like we've had this conversation before. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so he took you took the words right out of my mouth. 
it's the coaching aspect of it, which now you said he's with a new he's with a new camp or his old camp that he was originally started with in New Jersey, correct? Yep. Well, no, he's actually in Redlands, uh, California. It's oh. Pinnacle MMA. Okay, okay. So he's with Pinnacle MMA now. So he's there with them. They're getting him back, like basically saying, like we know how to fix him. Most people say that, and they nothing really ever gets fixed. I'm just simply saying. Then they goes, it's. That's normal. And the other thing, too, is I get a little concerned when guys switch camps going into a tournament like this because now you've broken up the routine of what you're doing and you haven't really set your state. You haven't really set yourself into that program. You're still trying to buy into it, whatever. And even sure you were there before, but now you're trying to buy back into it again. You wouldn't have you wouldn't have left if you didn't have doubts already. You understand? Uh, you know, hold on. Hold on. And, you know, and this is he was in a position <coughs> When you have Alliance MMA and you're hearing all this stuff, and you've got Eric Del Fierro and you got Dominic Cruz and Phil Davis and all these guys there, and they're telling you how wonderful it is there, and maybe it is for them, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean it's the right place for you. Yep. I I had a you know when I had a gym, Vince Pichel still fights in the UFC. You know he came to my gym, didn't know anything, and was from the very beginning brought up. Get him to the USC, and he's on Dominic Cruz's team, and Dominic talks to him about going down to Alliance MMA, and that's where he went for a while. And learned, you know what? This place, I'm not learning yeah. anything new like I was before. This is not for me, and then took off and left. Sometimes you gotta you you think you might get better going someplace, and you might be right, and sometimes you might be wrong. Yeah. Not every gym is for everybody. No, I agree. I, I bounced around like there was moments in my career. People never realized it and people I didn't I never made it public. But I went to a couple other gyms when I was in the office. I went to the the Tito's gym there or uh, Tiki's gym. Uh, yep. What's it called? Huntington Beach. Yeah. Uh, Honey, Honey, ultimate training. Ultimate and training in Huntington Beach. Yeah, I went there for a little bit to help Rob McCullough train for some fights. I was like, you know what? I could like it down here. I actually, if, if there was another gym that I actually felt comfortable being at was that gym. But then I went to Alliance, and not to lock Alliance, and I went down there with Phil Davis and Dom and Jeremy Stevens, and I liked the training, but I felt like all the fighters kind of did their own thing. You know, it was like they all kind of did their own thing. They kind of met for practice, and they all kind of did. And then I went to a couple other gyms, and I was like, okay, I went to uh, Extreme Go Tours, and it wasn't for me. It was, all, it was all the guys, but they all had separate managers. So everyone yep. was okay with fighting each other, and I was like, all right, why am I, I'm training with you guys. I'm going to fight you guys. <laughs> This is a little strange, you know. So I went, I went about it and trained at a bunch of other places. I enjoyed it, but it was I knew none of them really felt like home, like AK. You know what I mean? And uh, and Rob and I, Rob McCull and I, still maintain a really good friendship and relationship, and Tiki and I as well. And I'll go down there every once in a while and still train. Beautiful facility, you know. And uh, but that was like if I had another gym to choose, it probably would have been like that. But none of them, like you're saying, yeah. you you have to feel like it's home. And AK, and AK always felt that way to me from the beginning, from the very beginning when I stepped foot in the in in their facility. It always just felt like home, and so, um, yeah, that's one of those things. But let's talk about let's talk about Darian. I feel like the problem's not solved, and I feel like the no, pat- the, the problem's not solved, and the pattern's been laid on how to beat him. So anyone with a little bit of conditioning and cardio, they need to survive the first round and a half, two rounds. And they need to make it a they make it, they need to make it a wrestling and a grappling match. They need to make it a wrestling and a grappling match right off the bat. Don't try and stand with them. Don't try. You try and take him down. Well, it's not. I don't even. I don't even think you have to make it a wrestling grappling match because I think I think Caldwell's going to do that for you. 
But what you need to do is if he does take you down, you need to make him work. You yep. need to create positions where he has to move. He has to stop what you're doing. He has to change that angle. He has to do all of you. And then I'm just I'm gonna go back old school. Frank Shamrock faces Tito Ortiz the first time. And at a 30 second left in the round mark, Maurice Smith was calling out 30 seconds, Frank, and Frank would just explode to take Tito and make that heart rate climb higher and higher and higher. So by the end of the round, it's very high. And then he doesn't quite get down to where he's comfortable by the end of that break. And now he's coming back out and I'm going to pump him again. And that's, in my opinion right now, if, if I was going to have a fighter going against Darian Caldwell, I would be working on the ability for him to explode with 30 seconds, 25 seconds left in the round, pushing that pace extremely hard, making Darian work past his comfort point, and then let's see how he comes out the next round. And when you have a tired fighter, similar like we were talking about, you know, Ryan Scope, that is a way of beating somebody. You fatigue someone to the point they cannot function. That's the same as a knockout. Yeah, realistically, all he's got to do is, whoever his opponent is, his next opponent is, is I feel like they just need to make sure that he stays active. Never letting him settle on top. Never letting him just, well, his just next secure the position. His next opponent is Adam Borch. We know. Yeah, that's going to be that's gonna be a tough, tough fight for him. And not only that, is Adam Borch is bigger than him. Yep. Height-wise, physically Taller, bigger. Like, physically just a bigger guy. Here. Better kickboxer. Flying knee knockouts in the books. And very good off the off of off the ground, and will continue to work. We saw him get dominated by Aaron Pico for two and a half for two and a half or two rounds, two rounds, and, two rounds, and um, he just didn't even look like it bothered him. Didn't even look like it phased him. Came out in the third, which tells you a lot about how tough mentally he is. Yep, yep. He, I, I got to tell you, like now since my dark horse is out, he's probably my next dark horse. You That's know? okay. It's a good one. You know, I mean, he he's gonna be he's tough. He's tough. Yeah, I just I feel like those. I know people are going to probably sit at home and I'm ragging on Darian, but I'm not. I'm just simply saying, like, I hope he gets that fixed. Because when you were at 135, you had a reason. Now you're at 145, you don't have a reason anymore. Because yeah. if the reason should be a million dollars and a shot at that world title, that's all the reason you fucking need. Like, you oh, shouldn't yeah. need any other reason. Before, it was like, okay, I'm cutting too much weight. Now you're at 145. And you got a million dollars. You need to fix that conditioning problem. Whatever that conditioning problem is, you need to get it fixed. I did talk to his coach after the fight, and while they were uh, just <laughs> after they were doing the uh, selection show, and I t I talked to him. And I said, "You need to get Darian to understand. Wrestling is not going to get him a win. Yep. Same as what happened with Horaguchi. If you are just wrestling and you're not opening up, creating situations to either go after a submission." Go after a strike. These judges don't care that you're on top. Yeah. If you're wrestling and your opponent is just hitting you to the sides and yet they don't see you compensating something as far as a submission attempt or strikes to counter that, you're going to lose this round. Yeah. So he needs to understand what he needs to do, and he needs to definitely work on either doing something to up his cardio or something that he can do to relax himself during the fight. Yeah, to me, I feel like that just comes with more time and more repetition on being on the mat with in, in live MMA scenarios. That's what it comes down to. And understanding that he doesn't always need to hold his position, that he just needs to learn how to flow like water. 
you know, the whole Bruce Lee mentality. Um, and you know, another guy that had that same type of mentality, except he wasn't trying to hold them, but was Mike Van Arsdale. Extremely athletic and just very talented all the way around. Mentally didn't have it. That was one. And two was he just tried to wrestle you to death. And yeah. you're not going to wrestle someone to death in MMA. And that showed when he fought Randy Couture. Randy Couture was broken in the second. At the end of the second round, Randy was broken. So was Mike Van Arsdale. Randy saw how broken Mike Van Arsdale was. He stood up off of his stool and bounced around. And Mike Van Arsdale looked at him and saw that and told Bob Cook to throw the fucking towel in. He's like, he's like, just give. He's like, just throw the towel in. I'm done. Which told done. you what about Randy? He wasn't broken. He wasn't broken. He just got <laughs> up. He's like, he's like, and Brand, and then Van, Van. He goes, no. Bob Cook made him go out there and fight, and it lasted like another. I don't know. Anaconda choke. I yeah, it was well. so quick. He, it lasted like what another thirty seconds or so. Yeah, the whole it fight. wasn't long. Um, but I feel like with Darian, he just he just needs to get that remedy fixed, and that's all. He needs to like. Pick and choose the movements when he fights. He needs to be smart about his control, and he needs to make the he needs to use his positioning to make the other person tired. Yes. Sit him like he. I, I kind of almost feel like he needs to start looking at maybe how Khabib fights, and maybe start doing things like that a little bit, sitting people yeah, to their well, hips. The, the big, I think the big difference is Khabib utilizes clinching his hands to get his guy down to oh. get him into position, but once he laces those legs and he figure fours. Those legs up, these are free. Yeah. And he starts doing things, pulling in certain areas, hitting with shots, and that's the difference with him and Darion. Darion is now still wrestling with his hands closed until he gets the guy into this perfect position. You're not going to always get that perfect yeah. position. You've got to create your positions, make that guy move based upon what you're doing to him that he has to move. So it's going to be something. You know, I don't think it's going to happen – you know, within the time period of this uh, tournament, he's going to have to go with what brung him. So you brought up the uh, selection process. Let's talk about that. I love it. I thought it was great. I thought I had a great time. Well, tell me the tell me the time when you think of a promoter allowing the fighters to determine who they're going to fight. That just doesn't happen because yeah. you don't have that kind of control as a fighter. You are in this where now you can decide, you know, I'm coming out of this fight. And this is what happened with Patricio. Patricio gets that ability to pick at the end. And when he realized I can go wherever I want, his whole thing was, well, I just had a hard fight. I have a cut that has to heal, but I have a baby on the way. And I don't want to be in a training camp, you know, too soon again. And I want to be there for my baby. And if I, my baby is going to be born in January, if I have March as my target date, I'm happy. And so you look and you go, the date was the most important thing for him. Other guys, it was about who they were going to fight. And you know, that, that worked out for somebody. It was interesting to me that all four of the dates were picked with the first four picks instead of one fighter saying, I'm going to face you. Because you had that ability when AJ yeah. when AJ McKee and I thought his selection being the the first guy he took that December thought that was incredibly intelligent for him he suffered you know zero damage he had a great training camp he is still in shape all he has to do is now back off for a while take some time off stay you know stay with a little bit of your conditioning and then come into that training camp hit December 
it's almost like, you know, this fight didn't even occur. That's a perfect placement for him. If he had gone farther down, it might have been a little bit more, you know, as far as asking his body more. And then he's putting himself up there for anyone to take him. And as he watches guys not taking that spot below his picture, it's telling him something up here. Yeah, I 100%, 100% agree with you. And then on top of it, I feel like him taking that early December fight, he's young, he's very talented, but he can sometimes get preoccupied after talking with his dad. He can sometimes get distracted. If he sure. doesn't stay in the gym, he gets distracted. So the fact that he took the earliest one he could let me know that he's very serious about this situation and this and what this opportunity presents to him. On top of that, it allows him to enjoy Christmas, New Year's, all those things that he can go out and enjoy. Now he's not going to be He gets off. to eat. He gets to eat. <laughs> yeah. Thanksgiving he'll get to eat because he has enough time to still get two more weeks of training camp in. You know, or three more weeks of training camp in yep. from Thanksgiving on. So it's not like yep. the him eating at Thanksgiving is going to ruin three more weeks of training. Um, if anything, it'll probably help him. You know, so him eating at Thanksgiving, but then Christmas and New Year's is always the hardest part to train because no one's around. They're all off. Yeah, they're all off visiting family and doing whatever. And plus, everyone's drinking. Everyone's at Christmas parties, New Year's parties. So the fact that he'll have that all out of the way, he can go and cut loose and not have to worry about anything. I thought it was very smart from him to I, pick I that too. very first date. I thought it was brilliant. And I, I was really surprised when Emmanuel Sanchez had his opportunity because he was like number three, I want to say. I think Borch was number two and Sanchez was either three or four. And he went and put his name up on that February slot instead of picking AJ because they had some heat going uh, before the fights, before AJ had fought. And it was about, you know, AJ telling him, you ducked me once before. I guarantee you, you're going to duck me again. If my name's up there first, you're going to duck me. And imagine, we'll see. Uh, kind of saw. Yeah. Kind of saw. I just, it's kind of weird too, because I feel like Emmanuel Sanchez picked probably one of the toughest fights. He fought, to fight Daniel Weichel, and who's a technician, and... They're very evenly matched. I felt like I, I I would have thought, given the history of, and I'm going back to Darren Caldwell, given the history of Darren Caldwell and the conditioning factor, I would have thought. Especially the pace that Sanchez brings. Sanchez brings. I would have been like, textbook, baby. Like, take me down all day long. I'm really good off my back. I'm also really good at getting up. I'm also very, I'm a lot better than you on the feet, by the way. And my takedown defense is not that bad. You know, I mean, like, I'm going to make you work for your takedowns make you a little work bit. To get it. Yeah, I'm going to make you, maybe not in the first round, but by the second and the third. And by the way, these are all five-round fights. We're not talking three-round fights anymore. We're talking five-round fights for the next round until we get to the finals. They're all five-round fights. This, it just threw me off that Emmanuel Sanchez didn't do that. You know, yeah. and um, given the fact I was surprised that, he, by that he prides himself on his conditioning and like and when I when I talked to him about, before his last fight, he said, look, none of these guys can set my pace. None of them. And he just kept talking about it. He's like, and I'm going to go out there. I'm going to show all these guys. But, dude, you picked a guy that kind of has a pretty good pace himself and Daniel Weissel. He's someone that yeah. can. And the other thing with Daniel is that he doesn't fight at a fast pace, but what he makes you fight at his pace. He's for some reason such a technician, it slows the opponent down to where they can't really do what they want. You end up fighting yep. his fight. And that's not yeah. good either for someone like Emmanuel Sanchez. 
Yeah, well, I think you know, it, it, the, the two guys that actually I thought were smart in the selection, A.J. being one, even though he had the first pick, you know, not a lot of choice in what he did, but he picked that spot. And then I thought overall Patricio Pitbull taking that spot in March, facing a younger guy in Pedro Carvalho, who, I, who we both agree is very good. Yes. But as far as you know, the experience factor, it's lacking compared to what Pitbull brings. Yep. And then he's putting two guys that he's already beaten in his bracket. He's got Manuel Sanchez and Daniel Weichel. Whichever guy comes out on top there, he's already faced both of them. So he knows what he's facing. Yeah. And he's making Adam Borch and A.J. McKee on the other side, along with Darian Caldwell and Campos, but... The two guys that you're looking at, that's AJ and the Young Guns. Someone's going to have to cancel somebody out. So he's getting a cancellation of Caldwell, Borch, AJ McKee, somewhere in there. He's saying, I, I think I like the, the bracket. I like what the thinking behind what he did was very smart. That or he just did it accidentally. <laughs> 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 My honest opinion is, is I actually thought he was going to take Campos. I thought he was going to push A.J. McKee out and take Campos, but then like you just talked about, then he would have been he would have been stuck probably fighting the winner of Adam Borks. Yep. And who was in that spot before? Well, if he would have taken the Campos spot, that would have put A.J. McKee down to Borch. Yeah. And so Borch and A.J., one of them would have canceled that up, but he would, he would have had to face him in the next, next, in the next round. In the next bracket. And that would have been before the finals. Yep. So I, I, yeah, I guess, I guess, kind of where you're talking about, it does all make sense, you know. I'm gonna give you a little nod on that, okay? I'm gonna <laughs> give you a little nod, a little credit there. I think, yeah, I think overall, I, I just thought he would have taken maybe a little bit easier route. He's fought all these guys before, but I think in the long run, the route does make sense because then he's already prepared for Emmanuel Sanchez and he's already prepared for Daniel Weishel twice, by the way, you know, yep. and he knows them very well. He knows what they're capable of. He knows how good they are. So. Yeah, you're. Yep. I, yeah, you're right. You're right. They, that that uh, to me that makes sense. That does well, make sense. Last thing I want to talk about is okay. Michael Venom Page fighting Richard Keeley, and what happened between Michael Venom Page and the referee Dan Mergolata. Yes, bad situation. That's the number one thing people have been asking me about uh, for us to talk about. Well, oh, wait, wait, wait. Before you talk. Then today, Dan Mergliotta come out and said some stuff as well. Okay. Saying that he basically wanted to have his side be told. And, um, you know, and it just, I, I feel like, let, let's talk, let's have a conversation. I just feel, I feel like sometimes you should just leave it, let it be. I, I think sometimes you just should just let it be. Like you should just, just sometimes just, just don't say anymore. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. As a ref, he's a top ref. I I don't know. Give me your give me your give me. You know everything. You know everything about I, this. Everything overall. Let's take a look at this thing from the beginning of what started to the last bit. First off, when this fight was made, you got to look and say Michael Page didn't have a lot to gain by fighting Richard Kiley. No, but he was offered that fight based upon he wanted to. To fight in London also, and he takes the fight knowing that he can fight in London also. People are looking at it and saying it's going to be a good matchup because they're both coming from a karate background, kickboxing, but they're not thinking about the speed factor. 
So Kylie is the guy pushing all of this, you know, resentment. He's the one putting his fingers up in front of Venom's face during pictures. He's the one stepping in front of him. He's the one creating this confrontational yeah. atmosphere. The fight starts. They they end up having words back and forth. And, and all I can tell you is this, Josh. I've had the, the biggest shit talkers in the world saying, you know, fuck you, bitch, and all this stuff during fights. So what? As long as that fighter... His opponent and I are the only one that can hear it. Doesn't matter. It's no big deal. It's not crossing the line that we have in our minds as far as that. Now you're crossing it. You start to bring in race, religion, things like that in your statements. You're crossing the line. Yeah. As the referee, I'll do something about it. But that's not what happened here. You hear Michael, you know, Page says something. We don't know what he says. You see Kylie flipping in the bird and you see Dan coming in. And basically say, hey, knock it off. I don't want to see it. Page ends up hitting, landing a good shot, puts him down, and he's in a good position. He is doing damage to him on the ground, and he makes a gesture, does his little thing with the fingers, and you see Dan stopping that fight, bringing him up, and immediately taking a point for unsportsmanlike. The question is, is that the right thing to do? I will tell you this. He is well within his right as the official to utilize that rule and take a point. So it's within the rule book. He can do it. With the th thousands upon thousands of fights that I ever did, that's how many times I took points for language or sportsmanship. The only time I even said anything that anyone could hear was Nick Diaz fighting Drew Fickett when he was pounding on him and saying, how do you like this bitch? And it started to get loud. I said, hey, knock it off. That's it. Didn't stop the fight. Didn't take him out of position. So if if Dan didn't like it, he could have taken Page out of the position without taking the point. Taking a point is like it's like the hail mary pass of interference. You could you throw that flag. The the guy wasn't going to catch the ball, but you throw the flag, and now they move the ball eighty yards down the field. That's what taking a point in MMA is. You're you're altering that fight in a big way and you have to be careful about what you do. So I look at it and say, you have to be very judicial with it and be smart about, are you really going to take that point? You want to warn him, warn him. All of that aside, he's within his right. When the fight is over and Dan tries to be the nice guy and Kylie wants to, you know, congratulate Michael on the fight and Dan tries to be the guy to make that happen. And Michael was upset with both Dan and Kylie and basically said, fuck off. And that's when Dan said something about, you know, you're a fucking piece of shit. Oof. You cannot do that. Yeah. You, you, you have gone outside of what your scope is. You are, to, you are supposed to be impartial. You don't get mad. And Dan has to, you know, he has to know, I, I was wrong. I made a mistake. doesn't mean he's not a good official. He's a great guy. I can tell you that. But we all make mistakes. And he made a mistake there. And if it's the apology is needed for that mistake, fine. It should never happen. 
Yeah, I, I think by trying to get them to talk, he was outside of his scope. Also, he sh like he should just if the fighter wants to approach the other fighter and shake his hand, then that's on him. It's on them. Yeah, like you should. I think as a ref, you shouldn't get involved. Your job is just to ref the fight. I, I, that's more on your area of what you're talking about. The other thing too is you can't let your personal feelings on how you would have conducted yourself interfere with how how you treat the fighters. You know, yep. you had talked, we had talked a little bit about how, you know, fighters sometimes will come into the cage dancing, you know, and things like that. And past histories have shown that he, he doesn't like that or there's some other stuff. But that being said, it just, he had came out today and said some stuff also. And I don't, I don't know exactly, I don't want to say exactly what it was. I forgot what the article was said. I just read kind of some of it real quick. The bottom line is, is I think sometimes you just got to just let it flow. Just let it be. So, yep. look, it's uh, it's one of those things. I, we'll see exactly how it all pans out. We'll see. Uh, um, you know, unfortunately, I know my, you know, Michael saying I don't ever want him to referee, and Dan is saying I'll never referee the fight. That's fine. That doesn't, yeah. you know, if that's what happens. That's what happens. No big deal. But you know, we all have to learn from this. Dan has to learn from it. Michael needs to learn from it. Everybody does. Okay. All right, my man. Well, I'm going to let you run. I know you're with family. You're in L.A. You got the show this weekend in Pachanga. It's getting dark here. And it's getting dark there. You're getting a little faded. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to let you run. And, uh, hey, I, yo, you guys that are watching at home, you guys can follow us at Wayne In Show on Instagram. And then you also Do it. Can, and you guys can follow us at Wayne In on uh, Twitter, right? No, no, no. Twitter, not Twitter. Okay. On YouTube. Sorry. Wayne In on, tw on YouTube. Also, follow me at After Real Punk, Big John McCarthy. John McCarthy, MMA, Instagram, and Twitter. Just give hit, me a shout. Hit the subscribe buttons. Hit the thumbs up on the YouTube and the uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play. Thank you, guys. We appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk to you guys on Monday next week. Later, big Later, bud.